Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. It is the first official day of fall, of autumn, here in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's the uh, the official beginning of the spooky season, which is always fun. And, you know, the month of September is historically a very weird month. I wonder if your September has been exceptionally odd and weird. I know if you were near any of the hurricane activity, it certainly was a September you'll never forget. So was last September for those folks in Puerto Rico who got clobbered. And so um, you may recall that I am always saying that the weirdest month of the year is April. And, and it's usually weird in an unfortunate way. Uh, you have a lot of disasters and tragedies. And, you know, every year I go down the list historically of all of the um, very uh, dramatic world events whether it's stuff like, you know, sinking of the Titanic or the beginning of a major war or, you know, whatever, an assassination. I mean, all this kind of stuff happens frequently in April. But the other month of the year that has a legacy of strange and weird things, but more paranormal, is the month of September. Now, you might expect it to be October, but... I think it's because that September is more of a time of transition when energy is shifting. By the time October kicks in, the energy is pretty much where it, where it's going to be for a while. But it's those transitional periods. I mean, for example, I'm sure it's no coincidence that April is right around the beginning of spring, and then September is you know right there at the beginning of the fall. So those are critical points in the the cycles of life. Um. But yeah, September has this, um, well, you know, there are obviously plenty of unfortunate things that happen in September, but also many more things of a paranormal nature. People having UFO encounters, people seeing um, a lot of, you know, ghostly stuff, cryptids running around. And I want to refer to a couple of examples of this, because... Uh, One of my favorite writers, who I'm also proud to say is a friend, is Lauren Coleman. Now, Lauren Coleman is best known as a cryptozoological writer, and most people know him for his writings regarding Bigfoot and the idea of North American apes and all that. But he has written about all kinds of bizarro stuff. Um, In fact, one of his books, Mysterious America is just really a masterpiece. It covers all kinds of bizarre stuff. That book was published in the early 80s, I guess. And that book was the first time I came across the story about the kangaroo that just appeared in downtown Asheville, North Carolina one day. And Well, not downtown. Actually, it was in Biltmore Village in, uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, and went just sort of hopping around, freaking people out, and then disappeared. And to this day, nobody can explain where this kangaroo came from. But, um, you know, when I was very young, I was reading books by Lauren Coleman and articles he was writing in Fate magazine, and uh, I ended up hiring him to come and speak at a couple of my uh, events, like my Grove Park End conferences, then he and I ended up speaking together 
at a cryptozoological conference in South Carolina. So, you know, I've, I've like I say, I've, I've known him fairly well for quite a while now. And, but of all the things he's written, I, I think, um, well, my favorite possibly, just because it's just such a, a spot-on, quick, fascinating read, is a book that was published in 2002 called Mothman and Other Curious Encounters. Now, of course, if you are interested in the realm of the paranormal and you've never actually sat down with a copy of John Kill's classic book, The Mothman Prophecies, you have not yet completed your education, young Padawan. Okay, you have to sit down with a copy of The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel and, and read this. And there will always be debate about how literally or figuratively to take the information in that book because John Kill was such a fantastic storyteller it's a shame I never got to meet him in person but such a fantastic storyteller that some people have said well you know he he was one of those guys who never let the facts get in the way of a good story so I, I don't know I don't, I don't know but I do know he was a very intelligent guy who was able to take many complex concepts and sort of um, sew them or fit them together in a way that uh, created this nice sort of textured I guess uh, a a myriad or a cornucopia of of different sort of ideas that all sort of fit together and created a whole a a, a patchwork um, of different kind of lenses you could look at reality through. I mean, I don't know. It's hard it's hard to put it into words off the top of your head. But anyway, that's a really good book. However, Lauren Coleman's book Mothman and Other Curious Encounters is almost like it's still got, you know, great storytelling uh, charm, but it also has more of a journalistic sort of touch to it really, you know, like here here are more of the facts and you know, here let's look at alternative explanations for this and that. It's very analytical. So, but it's, uh, I highly recommend that you read it. So I want to read you a little portion here from Lauren Coleman's book called Mothman and Other Curious Encounters. And I'm not going to try to recap for you who Mothman is. I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you know who Mothman is or was. And, um... So let's see here. Uh, He writes toward the beginning of this book, the impact and timing of Mothman-related events continues to amaze. Take, for example, David Grabias's plans to interview John Kill in Point Pleasant for his 2002 documentary on Mothman. They were to fly Kill from his Manhattan home to West Virginia to do the taping. But Kill never made it. His flight was canceled. The date he was to fly to Mothman Country? September 11th, 2001. Um, so you see an interesting little September connection there. If you keep reading this, He goes on to say, um, At what seems like the edge of the fringe, with the most bizarre of the strange, one such illustrates 
or excuse me, one such story illustrates a couple of points. In April, now we're back to April, of 1966, 16-year-old Kathy Reeves of Newport, Oregon, now let me pause for a moment, her name is Kathy Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S, Kathy Reeves of Newport, Oregon, saw three tiny tree stumps walking across a meadow near her home. Yeah, three tiny tree stumps. Well, now that would seem unusual in and of itself, and she noted that these, quote, walking stumps were orange, blue, white, yellow, and watermelon colored. Soon a torrent of oddities broke loose around her hometown. UFOs were sighted. Newport residents started talking about how nearby Pioneer Mountain had always been weird. A local couple told officials they had seen a group of staring cyclops. The Reeves family, who actually lived on the side of Pioneer Mountain, started experiencing waves of poltergeist activity. Objects in their home danced about and globes of bluish light bounced along their roof. Finally, the Reeves family did what most sane people have done in such situations. They moved. Um, he says, the, the, this Oregon case fits the um, Fortian milieu and somewhat also the UFO world for a number of reasons. The series of events are called a flap, which is an old Air Force term that has been applied to flying saucer and related accounts where there is a defined series of incidents and a limited period of time. Um, But anyway, as he goes on here talking about this, he goes, furthermore, the witness's name, Reeves, is among those special family titles that... Uh, that have been pinpointed as playing a magnetic role in the, quote, name game. John Kill once told me that people named Reeve or Reeves have a lot of strange experiences. Many monster witnesses have been named Reeves. A glance at the indexes of Fortean Times will show a sprinkling of Reeves and Reeve as witnesses and contributors. A man named Reeves was the primary witness in a now-famous Brooksville, Florida UFO case. As Jerome Clark has written, quote, A man so obscure as to be barely known to most other residents of the rural area where he lived, John F. Reeves, age 66, became the focus of international attention in 1965 when he reported an encounter with a UFO and its occupant, end quote. Um, contactees Bryant and Helen Reeve reached celebrity status in the 1950s after writing their book Flying Saucer Pilgrimage much has been written of the tragic coincidences whirling around the lives of the actors George Reeves and Christopher Reeve who played the television and movie Superman which, of course, is a fictional character who was an alien come to Earth to assist humans, and another version of a type of Superman, Keanu Reeves, 
in the Matrix. There is a reason it's called the name game. So I'm going to stop right there. You see, what he's talking about is the idea that when you have some kind of a, a strange event, a strange incident, like Mothman showing up, it's not just necessarily some kind of a situation where, oh, we have a monster who has appeared and he's freaking people out and now he's gone. It seems like that when these things happen, there are other weird connections occurring simultaneously and that maybe you can look at one aspect and see the monster or you look at another aspect and there's a UFO over here and you look at another facet and here is poltergeist activity and then you start realizing there are patterns with times and names and dates and it really leads you to have a sense that sometimes when these things are happening we're not talking about just some monster who shows up or some weird creature that shows up and then flies away what we're talking about is this sort of synchronicity that is often unpleasant that indicates there may be some kind of a bending or shift in the experience of reality itself that is occurring and that no matter how unpredictable and sporadic and random and crazy it may seem from your little particular singular point of view there is a larger organization behind the entire situation so so there 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 is it's easy to say some method in the madness, but, but what I'm saying is that reality is, is shaping as part of a, a more uniform force, and you get to see your one little weird part of it, but when you start looking at all the weird parts, they all sort of connect and they lead you back toward a source, and that's what, what, what you know we struggle with so much. It's like imagine that you're an ant and the only perspective that you get on the entire world is the perspective you get from being an ant okay you're you're on the ground and you look up and there's a blade of grass and okay maybe you can climb up that blade of grass you know maybe you can climb up a wall but you're always getting the perspective of the world from your little point of view and that's a very different perspective than say an eagle gets as the eagle is flying over and is able to look down and see things the ant could never imagine but the eagle might be able to see when there's a thunderstorm rolling in and the ant may have a sense that there's a thunderstorm rolling in because the ant is able to see one of those blades of grass start to quiver and feel the temperature change a little bit but the eagle can actually see the bigger picture of what's coming in and so sometimes i think we humans are like the ants that we we get to see little bits and pieces but there are bigger perspectives than humans certainly bigger forces than than humans and and it, and it, it requires that perspective 
to see those forces that we are trying to to sort of fit into our very limited and egocentric worldview. So a lot of these things happen to certain types of people with certain names during certain points in the year, certain places. I tell you what, West Virginia is a weird one. Uh, in, In this book, Mothman and Other Curious Encounters, Lauren Coleman talks a lot about just one odd part of West Virginia history after another. I mean, some really freaky stuff. I won't get into it on this podcast, but I recommend you read the book. But here's here's one thing that I want to point out that, I don't know, it's just sort of every September I start thinking about the weird things that have happened in September. And um, I'm reminded of the Flatwoods monster incident that happened in West Virginia. Now, I know that when you hear monster, probably the first thing that comes to your mind, in most cases, is something like a Bigfoot. But no, this is not anything like that. This is not like a skunk ape or a Bigfoot or dogman. No, this is something something different that's closer to an alien, perhaps. Now, first off, let me point out that uh, Flatwoods, West Virginia is less than two hours drive from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where all the Mothman stuff was happening. So as the crow flies and all that, not not a big deal. It, I mean, it's fairly close proximity. Uh, it's over in the direction toward Virginia. So it's east of Point Pleasant. And the Flatwoods Monster incident happened on September the 12th of 1952. So obviously September 11th is a a date that will live in infamy for the world, but September 12th of 1952 is when this took place. And uh, I'm just going to read you some bits from the Wikipedia article because it's pretty accurate. Let's see here. Uh, The Flatwoods, in West Virginia folklore, the Flatwoods monster is an entity reported to have been sighted in the town of Flatwoods in Braxton County, West Virginia, on September the 12th, 1952, following the appearance of a bright red object crossing the sky. Um, Here is the story as it sort of unfolded. This all began about 7.15 p.m. on September the 12th of 1952. Two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and their friend Tommy Heyer, said they saw a bright object cross the sky and then land on the property of a local farmer named G. Bailey Fisher. The boys went to the home of a woman named Kathleen May, where they told their story. May, accompanied by the three boys, and then local children Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and a West Virginia National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, so there's a nice little group of them here, 
they went to the Fisher farm in an effort to locate whatever it was the boys said they had seen. So, so again, these, these two guys, these two boys, they see some type of a glowing object that appears to crash on a nearby hill. They go and tell a woman about it, and she says, oh, well, let's go check it out, and rounds up a little group, uh, and they go up to the hill. The group reached the top of the hill where Nunley said they excuse me uh, they saw a pulsing red light so supposedly they're looking up at the top of the hill and they see a pulsing red light on top of the hill um, Lemon now this is the National Guardsman Lemon said he aimed a flashlight in that direction and momentarily saw a tall quote man-like figure with a round red face surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape, end quote. Um, in a tape-recorded interview, let's see here, uh, UFO writer Gray Barker described the figure based upon uh, his research and interviews as approximately 10 feet tall with a round blood red face a large pointed hood like shape around the face eye like shapes which emitted greenish orange light and a dark black or green body Kathleen May described the figure as having quote small claw like hands clothing like folds and a quote head that resembled the ace of spades end quote According to the story, when the figure made a hissing sound and glided toward the group, Lemon screamed and dropped his flashlight, causing the group to run away. Yes, that's right, the National Guardsman screamed. The group said they had smelled a pungent mist, and some later said they were nauseated. The local sheriff and the deputy had been investigating reports of a crashed aircraft in the area, and they uh, searched the site and reported that they saw, heard, and smelled nothing. Uh, a reporter went out the next day, and he said he discovered skid marks in the field and an old gummy deposit of some, some kind. Nobody to this day knows what the hell the uh, Flatwoods monster was. And, 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 and if that description is hard for you to envision, then you should just go to the Wikipedia article and look up the Flatwoods monster for yourself and see some illustrations. Now, of course, they have a section about the, uh, the conventional explanations where the skeptics come in and say, let us give this a shot. And uh, basically what they came up with was, all right, well, the light that they saw coming through the sky was just a meteor. And the creature they saw was a barn owl. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they also say that Mothman, these skeptics, so these quote-unquote skeptics, they say that they're really debunkers. They say that Mothman was just an owl. Let me tell you something. If Mothman and the Flatwoods Monster were just owls, 
They got some pretty fucked up owls in West Virginia. That's kind of a big story in and of itself, isn't it? We have ten foot tall owls. They can fly without flapping their wings. They rise up into the sky. Their eyes glow. People get radiation burns. I mean, it it really is kind of offensive at a certain point. It's insulting to those witnesses throughout history who have seen these amazing things to just so blatantly disregard what they're telling you they saw. Uh, and to say, oh no, you're telling me you saw a 10 foot tall creature, you know, with with a, a, a ace of spades shaped hood and you know, glowing face. And I, I, no, that was just an owl. Just an owl. But you know, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You either have to say, well, these people are lying, and they can't do that, apparently, because there are too many people who have seen these kinds of things throughout history. And they're being sincere about what they saw, you know, what they believe they saw. And I understand why it's important to come in and look at all possible explanations, but sometimes I just feel like you cannot take these stories that come from so many eyewitnesses and just explain that away with an owl. Whether it's Mothman or it's the Flat Flatwoods Monster. I mean, you, you just that's too much of a gap to bridge with that explanation. But anyway, I could give you more and more examples about these weird synchronicities and these times and names, these times of day and night. I mean, I I think I read one time somewhere, it's like you have the highest chances of seeing a UFO on a Wednesday night at 10 p.m. in some part of Texas if you're a school teacher and your first name is John, you know, <laughs> you know, this has been broken down quite a bit by ufologists, especially in the 1960s and 70s. Maybe there is something to it. Maybe there was a batch of individuals who got picked at some point to just be a part of uh, the close encounters or at least most of them, or many of them, and that uh, they all have that in common, and we don't know how you experience the bits and pieces of that when, when they come back around your way, but there's something in common there with time, date, names, the way these things manifest. It's very, very strange. But it does help you to envision life in a different way on a larger scale. And sometimes um, it's hard for you to describe it, to talk about it. It's hard to put into words. It's hard for me to put it into words just right now doing this podcast. So if you have experienced something like this, I can see how intimidating it might be for you to try to come forth and and explain something about it. But, listen, if there's anybody that you can try to explain it to, it's me. So, if you've had some really just, like, some stuff happen to you 
this month that is just so weird you don't know how to make sense of it, feel free to to email me through my website. Now, let me tell you, I may have no way of distinguishing between you experiencing something truly incredible and you just being a crazy person. I have no way of distinguishing that. But I'm also not necessarily trying to decide that. You know, I'm not here to diagnose you. I just want to see how rational you sound when you tell me about what you experienced. So you tell me what you experienced and let let me just look at it and see if it makes any kind of sense to me. And if it doesn't, okay, it doesn't. But maybe there will be something in there that I can recognize. Just go to joshuapwarren.com, joshuapwarren.com. And uh, if you scroll down there, you'll find my email address where you can contact me and let me know if anything unusual has happened to you. I get a lot of interesting reports and requests as October rolls my way. I have a very, very busy October. I have a lot going on. I'm not going to tell you all about it all at once. I'll just tell you about it gradually as things unfold. But um, as you know, the, the, the big thing that I'm really excited about is coming up in no time. It's going to be my big event in Los Angeles on October the 13th of 2018. Yep, we're just almost like, what, three weeks away, something like that. So this is your last opportunity to come and uh, meet with me in person and dig deep into one of my favorite subjects, mind machines. Um, for more information on that, you'll just you know click the link there at the top of joshuapwarren.com. It's in yellow letters, and you can learn more about that. Also, tomorrow I'm sending out a very special e-newsletter that involves a product that is brand new, that I think you're going to find pretty darn interesting. Something that I've never presented before. So go right now and subscribe to my free e-newsletter at joshuapwarren.com because tomorrow I'll be revealing this thing in the e-newsletter. I just send it out as a blast to people all over the world and you want to be one of those people. It's always free. Um... It's written by my own fingers. I don't... uh, It's spam-free. I don't advertise with other people through it. I don't uh, jeopardize your email address. That would be stupid and unethical for me to do that. No, I sit down and write each one of these typos and all and uh, hit the button and send them right to your inbox. So you can see where you can subscribe to my free e-newsletter there as well. But that's it for today's podcast It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily because I attempt, I attempt to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. If you click the link to this podcast on my website, joshuapwarren.com, you'll see you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again 
soon.